Hey, and welcome to Gizmo Sapiens Show 223, and welcome to the new year. It's been a few weeks into the new year, well, a couple weeks into the new year, I should say, uh, as we're recording this, but uh, it's been busy, a busy new year, and frankly, not a whole lot's been, uh, well, I don't want to say not a whole lot's been going on, but not a whole lot of really great new stuff has gone on. Uh, CES has come and gone again, and, you know, the... It, it there was no revolutionary um, technology things that I saw out of the CES. Uh, you know, the, there were some interesting things, but I don't know how practical they are. Asus has a laptop that is essentially one large touchscreen, including the area where you uh, you would type, and you can either use a virtual keyboard and trackpad, or you can actually take a physical. They have a physical keyboard that fits on it and where you place it then determines where the trackpad works. And I thought that was kind of neat, but you're talking about something that is more of a gimmick than, you know. But you know, it's weird how, how gimmicky little devices like that then eventually like create their own niche. You know, so I mean, it's, yeah, well, the problem really is, know. the problem is, is that gimmicky device, while it's really cool, is so expensive because a folding you know, yeah. it, it's not just the 13-inch screen. It's it's two 13-inch screens unified as one that fold. Yeah. And then the keyboard piece that fit on it. I mean, it was more than than uh, a Dell workstation, a high-end Dell work, you know, mobile workstation, wow. or a or a fully decked out MacBook Pro. You know, it it was expensive, and it was like a little 13-inch laptop. <laughs> yeah. Which don't get me wrong, I love 13-inch laptops, but. That being said, over Christmas, Micro Center had a great deal um, on a Dell laptop. It was an 11th gen Core i5, but the thing was uh, had a 15.6 inch screen. It had uh, you even though it came with eight gig of RAM, it was user upgradable and had two slots. And uh, it had uh, an SSD a SATA SSD slot that was unpopulated, and then it had a 256 gig uh, NVMe M.2 drive in it. And they sold them for 300 bucks. This is like a $700 laptop on Dell's website. Micro Center had them for 300 bucks. So, you know, who, where where's the weight gonna go? Yeah, it's gimmicky, but until that comes down to five or 600 bucks, that's not gonna be a pervasive technology. It was, you know, and they put them out there and, and, and I'm glad they sell them because they will sell in a niche market. They will find, you know, a, a few thousand probably, a couple thousand probably, people who will who will purchase that technology. Um, and the best part about that is, is those people will deal with the bugs. Exactly, exactly. You know? The you know the other thing that was announced at CES, and it's something that I have, I have customers in my real world who are using products like this but it's one of those things where it's like how for for the price that they're spending how much how you know how, how what's the return on the investment but you know ai is a big thing and i don't actually believe or not ai augmented reality or virtual reality i don't really believe in virtual reality as a 
it it might make a great game tool, you know, 20 years from now when when uh, the costs come down and and computing power rises up so that you can, you know, project a very realistic 3D environment, you know, in a screen that's close to your face. Um, but the technology it stands now is not, and even then, I don't think it's really useful. Um, you know, Microsoft and a couple companies, uh, particularly Meta, you know, Facebook, I air quoted there, so, uh, you know, they're, they're betting the, the uh, <coughs> farm on, on using it as business technology. <coughs> And I find that kind of laughable because they can't do like a full body avatar. So they're doing like avatars of just your, your head and like uh, you look like a weeble is what I, what I associate it with. For those of you who know what weebles are. Um, You're showing your age right there. I know. <laughs> but <clears throat> that being said, I not that's not going to make me more productive to head into a virtual meeting where I'm sitting at a virtual table but I can see everybody any more productive than if I'm sitting on a Teams call uh, and, and I mean Microsoft's in on this too they 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 were doing this they demoed it 2 years ago at the Microsoft uh, Wasn't that Ignite Cisco that did the telepresence suites yeah, they and they started the day, that and yeah. that was kind of the same sort of deal I mean Teams WebEx Zoom, that to me, FaceTime, those are the tools that are just as useful and, and we and, and to a large degree they're perfected today. Yeah. Um like Teams is so much better than it than it was at the start of COVID. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean we I frankly I of all of them, I actually think FaceTime and WebEx are the best. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um the tools that are available for WebEx and then the flexibility that you get out of FaceTime and the fact that Apple fixed it so if you're not an Apple user, you can still join a FaceTime meeting and, uh, you know, but I'll tell you what's really cool about FaceTime that I even WebEx has some issues with. WebEx is good if like you're, and I, and I, Teams to a lesser degree and Zoom to a lesser degree, like if you're doing like a, a seminar and you have a person and then that thousands of people log in but they don't interact over video and audio with you yeah it, you get about I, I found with WebEx is about the best of them you get about 20 people in a meeting and that's about that system gets flaky at, at you we add that 21st person and then somebody else gets knocked out it, it's just real flaky and I find that teams and zoom are not it, it's a few less people FaceTime, I've had like 40 people on a FaceTime call where everybody could talk. So the, the, uh, the wider community of organizations that I work with, yeah. they, they do a, an all-staff call. So we're talking like 500 people. We use a software called Hopin for that. And it's, it's amazing how many people you can add to that and not like lose, lose but it, people. But is that more like... Now, in that case, they're they're not interactive. It's more well, of, it's, it's it's interactive, but not not quite in the same way as you know, like a Zoom call or a Teams call. Yeah. Or, well, I mean, when you do it on WebEx or, or Zoom, which are the two I've actually done, I've never held a seminar via Teams. But since I work with the government a lot, my they they use Teams, and so we tend to use Teams for most of that stuff. Right. Um, 
the, the problem we have with teams and reason why I use a lot of WebEx is the whole issue of being able to share. Because based upon their policy, their Active Directory policies, you might not be able to, you know, give the, the, the ball to somebody else so that they can share their screen. Or um, particularly when we're using it for tech support, we use WebEx, oddly enough, <clears throat> so that we well, don't have got... to fly people across the country. Yeah. When we, you can't do it. Federal government doesn't allow Zoom, Chinese-owned company. Right. Um, teams... It's usually blocked so that we can't take control. Yeah. WebEx, we can take control. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know. And uh, and that way we can we can access those systems and we're supervised because we're not the ones controlling that part. Um, you know, so we can make changes, upload uh, patches and things like that. Uh, but you know, I, I I love that kind of thing and you know supposedly. That's where Microsoft wants Teams to be, is that full VR and everything. But I'll tell you, augmented reality is where I think it's it's at. And and the reason I say that is Microsoft's also playing in the augmented reality uh, uh, realm. Space, yeah, I'm with you. And, uh, and I think, I know that that's where Apple is going too. And, you know, Apple, you hear the rumors, um, you know, some of it you can put together that you know they're working on it because they're hiring people with, and they're talking about that in the job description. Um, Apple won't release a product until their product is what most people would be on version three of. <laughs> um, you know, the Microsoft HoloLens has been around for a while, and they now have augmented reality HoloLenses, and actually one of my customers is using it. And I have seen some really cool things. The problem with the HoloLens is it's like a three-pound helmet you have to put on your head, you know? And it really sucks if you have uh, glasses and stuff because you have to fit your glasses underneath this thing. Hey, sorry we had a slight interruption for the pizza delivery person. <clears throat> and now that we've eaten, we're back to what we were saying. So as I was saying, I think augmented reality is where it's at. Um, some applications I've seen, uh, Microsoft with their HoloLens, um, that's not their full VR, but their AR glasses. Uh, they have one integrated with a hard hat, so you're in a factory, uh, you're a machinist, and they're you're new to the company, so they're training you on what you're supposed to do. And they do a demo, and it's pretty cool, and I've seen it in person, where as the instructor, you're standing at the machine, and as the instructor is explaining to you what you're doing and how you do it, the AR glasses will highlight the handles and buttons and the processes, and then also put text up on the screen to tell you what you're doing. I've also seen an AR uh, concept. And this one was by Apple, which was really cool, that involved maps. So say you're walking down a city street in New York, and when you look down the street, your glasses, your AR glasses, would work with maps to tell you how to go. So instead of looking down at your phone, you're just looking straight ahead and it's giving you a walking path to a restaurant or a business. Also, even when you weren't actually on a, a direct path, AR and their demo would show you all the businesses and like have their Yelp reviews up and all this other stuff. It was kind of cool. It, it To me, that is useful information that you would use in a day-to-day uh, -day scenario. 
Um, <clears throat> I do believe NASA is also a, I don't just believe, I know that NASA is a HoloLens user and they're using it for, actually on the International Space Station right now, they're testing with it um, for doing Microsoft Teams meetings. Now, but they're not doing it as a full VR meeting, they're doing it as a augmented reality meeting so that <clears throat> it becomes the, the uh, screen um, that you see when you're in a meeting and so like they can bring up training documentation um, to show you how to do something or they, they're using it to walk uh, mission specialists and astronauts through complex processes to repair systems and things like that. I think that's useful. Um, and they're actually using Microsoft Teams to do that because that's how they're doing the sharing of the documentation uh, and then the audio transmission. I don't know if they're doing any video transmission, but I'm assuming they are. Uh, but I, you know, augmented reality, I see big things. It'd be like having a HUD in your car is augmented reality. Like, you know, fighter aircraft have a, oh, a HUD heads up display. And, you know, the fighter pilot looks ahead and, and um, they, uh, you know, they see a, a target reticle or they see their radar uh, screen, but it's actually, you know, a, a display that's projected on a, a, uh, clear monitor essentially so that they can see, but say you used augmented reality glasses, that would be the same thing, uh, in your car. So, you know, go back to the maps thing again, uh, example. So instead of having, you know, Google maps or Waze or, uh, Apple maps, tell you to go this way uh, and then you have to look at the screen to see what's coming up you know to see because it doesn't always <clears throat> it might tell you and you might have missed that oh i need to get off you know the interstate at exit 76a instead it's projected on your you know through your glasses but it looks like it's projected on your windshield also all the instrumentation in a vehicle could be an ar construct my only beef with that sort of thing is so, like, you need to be able to, like, move your head and check your blind spot and stuff like that. I don't, I mean. You would still see it. I don't know how much I like Well, that. you know, the, so having gotten a new vehicle and, and having driven really old vehicles, like vehicles that are 20 years older until the new vehicle, you know, the, the level of technology has changed, even though I put a CarPlay stereo in my older vehicle and all this other stuff. But the number of sensors and the amazing things that the sensors do in new vehicles, all of that could be tied through CarPlay or Google uh, uh, Android Auto or, or all of that to an AR headset or even the windshield itself. Um, and I do know that one of the things Apple is doing is to extend that whole Apple CarPlay experience is they're getting into the instrumentation panel and being able to arrange it the way it's most convenient for you. My beef with all of that stuff is then the, the privacy concerns. <clears throat> and while I think Apple is probably better at that than most, yeah, um, I still don't know that I trust even Apple. Well, I mean, like that anymore I'm not going to get into how Apple tends to do stuff I mean and they do collect some information but they are very upfront about what they collect and they're very upfront about 
what they will let you opt in and out of. Um, which is not necessarily the case that I found with Android. Even stock Android, because I would, if I had to use an Android device, I'm using a Pixel, you know, <laughs> not something made by somebody else because they add all kinds of things that you don't know. And they tend to sell that, you know, it's because that becomes an additional, that we're giving you a discount on the phone by selling your information because we can make more money that way. But that being said, I don't know if we're going to get away from it. It's yeah, just, it, no, I, I, I think it's, it's, it's less about the consumer information for me. Yeah. It's more about now we're seeing government exert undue force on technology companies yeah. to turn over well, information wh- they should not have. What about the latest Biden administration rule where uh, new cars all have to have uh, kill switches? Yeah, that's. I mean, that's government overstep. That yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, that's something you have to worry about. Because um, even the best technology. I mean, the technology is just a tool. It's how you use it, and that's the problem. Yeah, it's not how it, it, it how it's used, but also by who's using it. You know, should the government have the right to do that? But that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> of course, I, but I'm just saying it's that's my concern with that that sort of technology because, quite frankly, we tend to, as a society, uh, think, "Oh, this is a really cool thing. Uh, let's do that." But we don't ask, should we, we do, do that? It. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. There's always some, you know, you, well, the thing is, is you should always ask the questions and whether or not you are okay. Your personal mores are I'm, okay I'm with not it. Say, I'm not <clears throat> saying ban it. I'm saying yeah. leave me the option to, to, to do it or not. not. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm that's where I'm at. Well, I just see that as something going forward. I don't today, yeah. you know, no, I, I don't think you. automakers are getting rid of the instrument cluster or anything like that. No, and, but, they, and they shouldn't, you know, I, I, I don't. So let's move on to a couple other things. Let's so see. Apple yesterday announced um, their new M.2 Pro and M.2 Max uh, chips in their 14 and 16 inch MacBook Pros. Uh, the M.2 Max is really got a whole bunch more GPU power, but they're both about 30% faster than their previous versions. They also added an M.2 and M.2 Pro version of the Mac Mini, um, which frankly, uh, if you need a device to do creative things like video editing and audio recording and editing and, and all of that, you can't beat the M.2 Mac Mini for its it price and performance per and performance, it's $599, you know, <clears throat> and it's a workstation class machine with Thunderbolt and, and you know, and if, for people who don't understand what Thunderbolt is, Thunderbolt is actually an Intel standard uh, that's becoming an open standard, but it is a uh, way to externally connect PCIe devices. So uh, graphics cards, uh, video interfaces to, you know, to record and, and send video out. It, um, you know, high-speed storage devices and everything. It just, there's there's lots of uh, really cool things with that. Um, also, which is kind of interesting, is so DDR5 is the current version of memory that's out in computing devices today, the fastest and newest version. Um, 
Apple uses it, has been using it in, this, in their M.2 Pros and or M.1 M. M. and M2 Max. Um, my Lenovo gaming laptop, Legion gaming laptop, has DDR5. My, I, it, that's the current technology if you need a high-end workstation gaming machine uh, for memory. Well, <clears throat> and this one, it dumbfounded me when I read the article. But JEDEC, J-E-D-E-C, which is the memory group that uh, homologates RAM standards, or they manage all the standards for RAM, um, they're uh, doing an, or hammering out a new spec to replace SODEMs, which have been around for the last 25 years. Um, and uh, a Dell senior distinguished engineer, Tom Schnell, created this new memory standard called CAM or compression attached memory module. And it's <clears throat> going to be something that, you know, you can use or upgradable in machines. Uh, but one of the big things is uh, the, what they call the low power DDR memory. So D low power DDR4, DDR5. Typically that memory had to be soldered directly to the logic board to be low powered. And the CAM specification allows it to be on a chip. So that was why with these smaller, thinner laptops, not only was that reason um, to put, you know, to solder that memory on the, the logic board, but it was also because uh, for the batteries to get better performance and, and last longer, they needed that RAM. And so that was, that's a condition of the use in the DDR series of RAM. Um, the other thing is, is CAM, right now, they think they're going to hit a wall at 6400, uh, DDR5 6400 memory, uh, at, with, with, and not really be able to go much higher than that with the DDR5 spec. But with the new CAM standard, they start at 6400 and go up. So we'll see better performing RAM. Now, that being said, um, it'll be interesting to see how this works, this CAM memory works, because... Uh, there's, let's see, there are 332 companies listed in the JEDEC uh, group and Apple and from uh, Apple, Google, Dell, ZTE, you know, all the Samsung or Snap, uh, ARM, uh, uh, Qualcomm, they're all part of this because they all use that RAM and so they want some say in, in the RAM standards. <clears throat> and so it'll be interesting to see as we go forward and more things become system on a chip where the RAM is either unified, like Apple does it, or it's in, even though the RAM is still separate uh, for video and 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 uh, random access memory, uh, whether that CAM is going to be going forward, at least the standard, the 1.0 standard, on system on a chip vendors, which is really where we're moving from a a uh, technology standard because we want the smaller but bigger smaller, thinner, but bigger screen laptops and tablets and cell phones and things like that. So, you know, you, you do have not only a weight issue, but you also have that trade-off with how thick it is and everything else, you know. <clears throat> Hence why not everybody's carrying a Fairphone around as opposed to a, an iPhone or a, a Samsung Galaxy. And uh, I have a couple other things. This one is interesting because this is more on the pop culture thing, but it's something that affects you and me just because we've known each other, what, 35 years? Ish, yeah. Yeah, something like that. Um, so I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos on this. Okay. <clears throat> but 
Hasbro bought Wizards of the Coast, who bought TSR. Okay. TSR is famous for what? Uh, just lay it on me, brother. Dungeons and Dragons. Of course. So, <clears throat> um, there's been a decades-old, what they call the Open Gaming License, OGL, that a lot of third-party publishers have used, and it was a standard that TSR created long time ago so that they could get other people to create content to work with Dungeons and Dragons. Right. And the OGL did some other things that allowed other game makers to use like the, the die rules and, and basic rule set of Dungeons and Dragons to do other role-playing game universes and things like that. Well, <clears throat> Wizards of the West Coast, who is owned by Hasbro, who owns TSR, is there that last month they, it was supposedly leaked again, air quotes, but I think they leaked it to the press who knew they knew would let it, you know, show what they were thinking was changing, basically changing the open gaming license from what it was uh, and not allowing any retroactive people to be grandfathered in to a new license where basically they had to pay royalties to Wizards of the West Coast if they were going to make something that worked with Dungeons and Dragons. So it has, um, the funny thing is there's more, and I understand why they did it. Some bean counter at Hasbro probably goes, well, all these other little publishers are making more money off of D&D than we are. And that's not right because it's our intellectual it's our property. property. Yeah. And so what has happened, though, is even though this is not official and they haven't revoked the original OGL, um, the industry is moving to a ORC or the Open RPG Creative License that's supposed to be open, perpetual, and irrevocable. So, um, and a lot of the publishers who are making these third-party systems that work with D&D are moving to this new license and abandoning the OGL, which means their third-party publishers are abandoning Dungeons & Dragons. You know, I hate to say it, but it's not hard to come up with a die system that would make an RPG. I mean, we, we've gone from FASA had the die 100 system that, that Robotech and Star Trek, the FASA Star Trek RPG used. And then all these gaming companies went to GURP, the GURPS rules, which was the general purpose role-playing system, um, which was a die 20 system. And then a whole bunch of people modified the die 20. So they, did a die 20 plus six-sided die six system together, which is like what Modiphius uses for all of their games. Um, so, you know, making something that, because I think it would be really hard to argue in court that, well, I created the die 20 or the, you know, whatever the Dungeons and Dragons is using today's system and nobody else can use it. <laughs> you know? I mean, just to be honorary, I would create the die 21 system. So a 21-sided die, figure that one out. <laughs> <laughs> but you know it the the problem is is role-playing games which are still hugely popular in a world where we have gone almost completely digital on everything um it's a community and each role-playing game system has a community in it and Dungeons and Dragons is the oldest of those communities and so to go in and upset the apple cart in a way, the funny thing is, I think if they had approached all the publishers of third-party stuff saying, we'd like your input, we're thinking of these things, what do you think about it? And they got to give input back 
this would not have been nearly as big a deal because, uh, you know, but, but because it, it's Hasbro who's been known to do this in the past, it's telling Wizards of the West Coast that, well, fix it. Our, you know, they're saying, the, the Hasbro lawyers said, this is how this license is gonna have to work in the future. And they didn't really gauge how the community works. I, I think they're end, gonna end up being in the dark. You know, they're going to lose a lot of, of the community that's wrapped around it. You're not wrong. But that's what, quite frankly, uh, so many of these companies that, that buy properties don't understand that the reason why they're so popular and make as much money as they have over the years is not the... Uh, it, not the property itself, but that it's not being run corporately, if you know what I mean. Yeah, exactly. Well, and you know, I, I, we see that with Hasbro. I'll, I'll get to you in a minute, Thomas. My my son, who is also here today, wants to say something on this. But I, I want to say this: Hasbro in the past, because you know, Hasbro bought Kenner too. You know, yeah. it used to be. And Matt and I live in southwestern Ohio, so Kenner was always a big name because they were headquartered in Cincinnati, and Hasbro is headquartered in the East Coast in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. And, <clears throat> you know, Kenner was famous because they were the ones who got the license for Star Wars back in 78. Yeah. And, and, and they're the ones who standardized that two and three quarter inch action figure, too, or three and three quarter inch action figure and the play sets and the ships. And even though that was, by the way, <clears throat> that was created by Mego, um, they had several toy lines that were not nearly as popular um, that actually started that, but, and, and hence Hasbro created the, the, the 80s G.I. You know, Joe, a real American hero, which amazingly enough, was, is always been the best asset of Hasbro because that's something they created from thin air. You know, G.I. Joe was their property beforehand, the big 12-inch dolls. But when they went and got in the 80s and they realized that kids wanted, you know, more articulated figures and they wanted to be able to have, you know, ships and, and jeeps and tanks and all this for them to, you know, ride in and play sets, <clears throat> they were the ones who ended up, you know, really ca uh, ca capitalizing on that, even though Kenner and Star Wars had a long run. But they've sucked Kenner in. And so they now have Star Wars as part of their their uh, properties as well. But you know what? They, they have not done a good job, in my opinion, with any of their properties. Um, even GI, the, the G.I. Joe Classified, which is a reboot of the, which I, they're beautiful figures. Um, they're highly detailed, but they're six inch. Their vehicles are highly detailed. Um, I think they're the best of both worlds, you know, the between a 112th, which is the 12 inch dolls and the 124th, which is the the three and three quarter, you know, you have that that highly detailed sculpt, and but they have distribution problems with that toy. They can't get them to the people who want to buy them. Um, you know, figures that were supposed to be out in like July of last year, some of those finally started drifting in around Christmas. <laughs> you know, and and some of them that were supposed to be there new for Christmas. We aren't going to see until like April or May, if we even see them then, 
Yet other countries in the world who, G.I. Joe's an American thing, even though they created Action Force and all these other things. But you can go to the UK or Canada even and get the newest figures almost as, the, as soon as they're announced. And I haven't figured it out. Think about it. But that's Hasbro for you. And it's, it's obvious they're not run by people who are, are collectors. Because it's not children who are buying $20, uh, $24 action figures that are highly posable and highly detailed and, and playing with them. Uh, it's adults. You know, the original G.I. Joes were, when, when the, in 82, when they first came out, they were $1.99 a piece. And that was the same cost as a Star Wars figure. And when the Star Wars figures first came out in like 79, they were like 99 cents a piece. So we can talk inflation and what a dollar or two dollars meant back then, but I guarantee you, my parents weren't it buying ain't 20 bucks. Yeah, exactly. If my parents bought me $10, they, I actually, I know that my parents bought me $10 in Star Wars and G.I. Joe figures at any, at any one time. Usually it was like you go to the store and, uh, and you could get two figures at once because they would be willing to spend five bucks. Yeah. I'm, if my kid were asking for two G.I. Joe classified or two uh, Star Wars black figures, which are the, the same 118th scale with the highly detailed and all the accessories, and, and they were like, and it's 50 bucks today, I'd be like, uh, you need to save up enough just to buy one. <laughs> you know? Yeah, because now you're talking about, well, that's like four hours worth of work. Yeah. Well, and, and that's that's what I'm saying. Go ahead, Thomas. All I was going to point out was that you got what is happening with Andy and Hasbro partly correct. The reality is, is that there's this woman who came in from Microsoft who was from Xbox, specifically uh, pertaining to microtransactions on Xbox. And this wasn't necessarily a Hasbro lawyers thing. This was actually a thing that was because of her and her specific management team and everything that she wanted to do this especially because there's a Paramount, you know, there's supposedly a Paramount Plus series coming up and everything they want, you know, especially one of the clauses was they wanted to make it so that they could pull from other people's creations built on top of base D&D under the original OGL. Well, and they're going to, they've screwed that up already because about six of the largest publishers of well, exactly. of, of D&D content uh, off the, that were using the OGL have already declared that they're not using the OGL anymore and that their new products won't even, a couple of them are like, well, our new products won't even be licensed with the ORC yet. We want to see what the final ORC looks like before we say anything. And one company, MCDM, uh, they published Basic Fantasy, which uses the uh, D&D 5th edition rule set. And they're going to abandon that rule set and create their own. So, I mean, they've, ru they've ruined that. But it seems to be a larger problem within Hasbro itself because they're ruining they've this ruined has been happening for the longest time as you've already pointed out i know the other, the other thing i was going to point out was that uh the other thing i was going to point out is that like matt is correct uh you know in this regard but in the world of video games the same thing has kind of happened on that regard where people you know, there's been companies like the Embracer Group in which screwed up Saints Row recently, and that's, you know, it's both exactly what he said, but it's also about the IP in the context of video games. Whereas the IP is beloved because the previous games were actually good. And the Embracer Group with, you know, Saints Row, 
but also with Take-Two Interactive and GTA 6, we already know it was going to be woke. And so this is already a thing in which, you know, the same thing yeah, I mean, that Matt I, already pointed out, yeah. it's already happening to video games and a variety of other IPs. Yeah, I agree. And But what, what they don't realize by doing what they're doing is it's it's actually something we talk about a lot whether and it affects more things whether you're talking about building a political movement or building a business or or whatever what and, and that that is there's a TSR had built a community I remember back in the early 80s and I'm I wouldn't I would you know when I was six seven eight I remember ta going and seeing the the initial Dungeons and Dragons, uh, <clears throat> well, today we call them conventions, but really they were they were like festivals where they would come and they would play, and you know, people would come and they they'd pay a fee and get to play you know ten or eleven games all weekend, different adventures and all this other stuff. They built a community around that game. You know, geeks. It was the geek community, um, literally, because you know some of the characters in the game actually. Eight chicken heads, but <laughs> that makes sense. Um, and so, you know, this industry that the o, um, the OLG license or OGL license um, enabled was because there were people who were so in they had invested so much time being dungeon masters and creating adventures for TSR that other people wanted to have it was the only only way they could destroy and so it, it they're basically kicking the community in the teeth well and that's 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 the point i was trying to make is it's if the company doesn't appreciate the community that that historically has backed the product they're essentially killing the 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 goose that lays the, the golden, golden egg. egg. Yeah, you're right. It, you know, I mean, it's it's like MySpace. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. You know, the D and D and and Wizards of the West Coast will end up like MySpace in, in that respect. Although compared to what Facebook is doing these days, I would almost rather MySpace still be around. Yeah. Well, that's another story. I won't even talk about that. <laughs> I actually never really got MySpace to me was more like even though you could leave messages for people and stuff what to me was more like just fancy GeoCities websites <laughs> with even less uh, know-how required correct to, to make it go yeah I, I'm with you there so let's transition to uh, something a little more serious um, in the first eight months of 2022, the U.S. electrical grid was attacked 107 times. And that was according to the GAO. If you don't under, know what that is, that's the General Accounting Office of the U.S. government. Um, that is actually the most attacks on the U.S. power grid uh, in more than a decade. And on December 3rd, two substations in North Carolina plunged more than 40,000 people into darkness for attacks and then we had another four attacks in Washington state leaving 14,000 people without power on Christmas day. So now the funny thing is is authorities believe these are happening because of domestic extremists. Um and that that could account for some of it, but I think that's just 
political propaganda. But the, the bigger issue is this, and, and this goes to my point, is that the U.S. electrical grid is super fragile. And actually, the electrical grids are super fragile all across the world. Look at the war, Russia with Ukraine. Where is Russia attacking Ukraine? Their electrical grid. Because they're hoping to demoralize the, the citizens and make the to, and have the citizens basically surrender the Ukrainian government to, to Russia. Um, but even after, I mean, in 2001, uh, we had some severe network outages due to like one substa major substation uh, took down almost all of the East Coast. I, I remember because I was in Virginia at the time and just north of us in Maryland, they had no power. You know, I was in Northern Virginia. <clears throat> and luckily, it didn't affect Ohio except anybody uh, just east of Cleveland to the New York state line where they share that same grid. But, you know, there's, and, and what was it in the early 80s, we had something like that where a substation had an overload in Canada and almost everything east of the Mississippi and north of uh, the Ohio River went dark uh, because, uh, and I think it's funny, th this is actually a, a government issue where the government thinks they need to control this stuff so much that they've actually made it worse than make it better. Actually, I don't know how the government can make anything better. Typically, it's government. Well, I think the, the I would refer to it as a solution, but I don't think it's a solution. But I think what will make this so much better is if uh, we are all required to drive electric cars and, um, you know, let's 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 take anything that's powered by any other kind of, of energy and make sure that they're on the electric grid so that uh, we, we, we really, really tax this, this grid to, to the, the point of actually breaking it. I think that's probably the, the best way forward. Yeah. Well, you know. It, I, I say that tongue-in-cheek. I, I know you say that tongue-in-cheek. Well, I, but I, I clarify I, that for, for the listener yeah. who may not pick up on my tone. But, you know, the, the thing is, is, this goes back to what I've talked about in the past, where when we talk about energy independence, we really need to talk about energy independence. And there's several ways to do it, because it, I don't believe, like today, the way we, we distribute energy is done in such a way that it's homogenous. So everything is treated the same, whether you live in a rural area or whether you live in a city. And I don't think going forward, we can really do that. Um, I, my personal opinion is the current electrical grid for most places, for suburbs, for, for uh, rural communities should be a backup to your home solar generation system uh, that runs, you know, you know, your power. Things have gotten, particularly since we, know, we don't use incandescent bulbs and we're, you know, the majority of people have switched to LEDs, there is not, you're, you're it's kind of funny because you're I, I have not seen power prices go down even though we're using so much so many things that are so much more power efficient like LED lights LED lights hardly use any power when you look at you know the 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 energy stars ratings 
all the LED lights in your house probably don't should not, according to Energy Star, cost you more than twenty dollars a month or twenty dollars a year. Uh, I, that's not my experience. I'll tell you that. But it also because it ends up. Don't you think though that what's actually happening from a cost analysis perspective is as these devices get more and more energy efficient. The energy companies are just boosting their rates. That's to, exactly. To that's exactly it. Pass along the savings to but their because customer. they're monopol monopolies. There's no competition. I mean, it's kind of like the cable TV monopoly until streaming came around and internet access. You know, so most cable companies have had to turn into internet service providers slash phone providers. So, in a way, they changed the thing because now. Uh, Streaming services and internet companies like Verizon and AT&T um, are competing with your uh, Time Warners or and Spectrum and Xfinities and and Quest and you know all of those companies. And now, uh, you know, you're getting companies like T-Mobile, you know, because Verizon and AT&T were already in that mobile business, but now they're all offering home internet service with decent speeds. Um, you know, everywhere. And so, you know, we're, we're seeing, what, what I'm seeing is the prices for internet offerings are plummeting. Like Verizon offered me home internet service, which I use the Verizon for free mm -hmm. because it were charging me $25 a month. And they said, if I put my bill on auto pay, they would give me a $25 rebate. So I don't pay for my Verizon home internet, which is cellular. Uh, and I, where we live in the rural community, we can't get it on 5G, but we get it on 4G, and that's 50 to 100 megabits per second for nothing. And then I just got rid of Spectrum because we got fiber where I live, even out in the country. And for $10 less per month, where I was getting 200 megabits per second on Spectrum, they're giving me a gigabyte up and down on fiber and I'm paying less money. I'm seeing a cost erosion curve here, you know, yeah. and my rates for both Verizon and uh, the new broad or new uh, fiber internet, fiber optic internet, I should say, uh, are guaranteed locked in for three years. They, they, you know, the contract says they can't change the rate and I can cancel at any time. Now I may not get, if I cancel, I may not get that rate back, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. No. We don't have that with electric. I can understand to some degree as we were developing the electrical grid and everything else. But the, the problem is, is there's this hidden government that controls the electrical grid. Uh, there's, you have your electric companies like Duke Energy and I don't know who, what they have up here in Dayton anymore because it used to be DPNL. It's uh, AES. AES. Yeah, you have AES and you have <clears throat> um, Duke, but then they roll up into these regional carriers that have, and then those regional carriers roll up to a, like a, a, a larger grid group or a more consolidated grid group that covers more territory, and then those people at the top then report to the government. So not only is it there really no competition, <laughs> it's just, it's competition by fiat. You know, it's, uh, we're going to call this group Duke Energy, and we're going to call these guys AES, and we're going to call these guys, you know, Pennsylvania Power and Light, and 
and that's how it works. Um, but most homes, the majority of their energy use, if you if you took what they are spending per month, they could put in because solar products have dropped so dramatically. And and yes, I hear people who say, oh, but you have to live in certain states and everything. People all across the United States, from New Hampshire to Southern California, are using solar, and 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 getting all the uh, daily electrical needs that they they require. Matter of fact, people in California better be switching to solar because their electrical grid is what's causing a lot of their forest fires because of the age. Uh, wires are fraying, and then they get sparks, and those sparks are igniting dry timber, and they're drought-infested land. Well, they're not drought-infested right now, but but they were. But, you know, again, why are we sticking with this technology that is surely is more expensive than it was, but, and, and I'll tell you what it is, government bureaucracy. Uh, a lot of places will condemn dwell, living dwellings if they do not have a grid connection, you know, a power box meter on their house. And why is that? Because the building code says that that has to be there. But it's an overstep not only of local government but of all government convince me i'm wrong uh, i can't because you're not in this case well i mean there, there's more things to say so say you know you have a house where a tree falls and it crushes their solar um yeah that house is without electricity either partially or fully but every other house on the road is not a power line gets knocked down. This has happened where we live. A power line got knocked down by a semi-truck who was driving on a road it was not supposed to be on and could not make the turn, so he clipped the power pole. And so we were out of power for three days because of that. And uh, an analyst with the U.S. Army says that if you have a, this is the actual quote, if you have a physical attack that damages equipment, it can take weeks, months, or years to replace that equipment. Well, that just goes to show how vulnerable we, we really are. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's not a... At some point, someone is going to have to recognize that this is a national security issue. I agree. I agree. It, it, in a way, it's probably a bigger national security issue than the whole problem with the SCADA systems and all of that, you know, where they've never been up... There are power companies all over the world who've never upgraded their software because it's industrial software and it shouldn't be upgraded yet it's full of you know vulnerabilities that had been patched 25 years ago that are so easy to take advantage of you can do really excuse me you really dangerous things via the power grid you know now don't get me wrong I, I think there are times when uh, we will update something that we're updating it for the sake of updating it if something works and functions and there isn't a, uh, a legitimate reason to, to do it, then there really isn't a reason to do it. I, I think, but this is not one of those things. Exactly, exactly. This isn't like, hey, we're, we, you know, there are these great new, uh, the, you know, there's great new paint to put on the roads that uh, makes the lines and everything look, you know, so much better at night or in the rain or whatever. Well, increased visibility yeah. is, is, is what but you're talking about. it costs 10 times what the paint we're using, and it'll give us, you know, when you do the numbers, it'll give us a 3% advantage. 
that that's a that's a nice to have. Maybe when we need to do it again, we'll we'll use the new stuff. Yeah. But this is different, and and the technology. I can understand it if the technology had not advanced, but the technology has advanced. And the other piece of that, and it, and again, I, I do want to reiterate, I don't believe like solar power or wind power is, or or ocean power, hydropower, is a panacea fix for all situations. I think it's a combination of technologies, and I do think that like in large concentrated areas uh, you know like new york city would be a good example just being a huge metropolitan area you're going to have to have some kind of power grid i mean you could implement on the tops of buildings solar or wind or whatever but it probably will not be enough to cover the electrical needs of all of that but as we you know one of the things that they're testing and bill gates foundation is doing this is the research into the uh the small uh much safer nuclear fission reactors, micro-reactors. And so what they're doing is they're creating, instead of having these massive power grids, they're looking at, at a couple of the test sites that they're doing, they're doing like each individual city has a power grid run by these micro-fission reactors. And eventually micro-fission will be replaced by micro-fusion. It doesn't sound like we're that far off that fusion won't be something we will start implementing I'm going to uh, to suggest that if we were smart about that sort of approach, is that a legitimate function of government? Well, it's not that they're just. And the reason why it's I say not, that it's is not that they're they're doing it under government control. It's just the they're picking the, their test sites, and, and the reason is is because they're micro reactors. They can only handle so much that as a test site, this this micro reactor will do a city of 140,000 people. But that's whatever. my but yeah. that's my point. I don't the, think that the, should the, be a the, function of the government. The, 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 well, I'm I'm less convinced, which is kind of weird. Well, it's a I weird mean, position it, for it, me. It but. could be. I mean, my point is is that I, I think it's important for us to stop thinking of the energy issue as a as a national and international and make it more set local. of solutions yeah. it needs to be bottom up meaning your local municipality needs to be making decisions about what where their power is coming from and whether or not they, they're getting sufficient amounts of it and what the source is if you live in a in a part of the country that gets a boat, boatload of wind and wind power makes sense for you that's great yeah, do exactly. it exactly uh, but that doesn't work in, in, in all parts of the country. Uh, if you're in a spot where hydroelectric power makes sense for your, your community, do it. There's no reason not to. But yeah, it shouldn't be. There's like, no like one said, solution no that's going to work for, for the whole everything. country. Yeah, I agree. But what is clear is that we need to get off of this essentially single grid system. You know. And that we should go to more microgrids. Now, these microgrids can be tied into each other. Well, um, you need built-in redundancy. Yeah. And that's, that's something that our current system doesn't have. Well, it does to a degree, but it's not consistent. And that's part of the problem, too, is that, you know, over the years, again, when we first started putting the electrical grid together, it started from a bottom-up perspective. So large cities like New York and things like that, they got electric first and... You know, we went through the Great Depression and the TVA 
was created, the Tennessee Valley Authority, to create and give all these rural areas electricity. Well, the way they implemented it initially in New York is not the way they implemented it 30 years or 40 years later, 50 years later during the Great Depression. You know, one, technology had changed, but two, um, you know, j just the nature of rural versus a highly uh, condensed populated area, you know, it, it's going to change how that works. Well, again, the solutions shouldn't be one size fits all because, quite frankly, this country, we, we come in many sizes and shapes, Yeah, uh, it, both metaphorically and, and literally. So none of these solutions are going to be the, the, the right answer for everybody. And I think that's what the whole debate is, is trying to, to get at. What's the best solution for everybody? Well, none of these solutions are going to work be for, everybody. for everybody. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, it's always the, you know, the story of the corner, ca corner case. But the problem <clears throat> is, is the corner cases are much larger in this situation than they are in other things. And, you know, government tends to... We've picked a solution. Here you go. Well, and that's that's my point. Now, and, and typically, the government in question will be our friends no, in, in, in D.C. Yeah. And quite frankly, they're not qualified, let alone Yeah. Uh, well, and, and I do want to you, – you bring up an interesting concept because local municipalities do run the local water, typically. And they do. Um, and there's redundancy built in so they can get water from, you know, and, and – and, I, I'm not totally opposed to that. If the local, you know, if you had a microgrid reactor type situation, uh, you know, and, and it was run by the city, I, you probably would have, I don't know, it just depends because I've had good and, uh, you know, I, I've watched cities. But then that's, that's, to, a, re to, that's a reason to, to move. Yeah, to slow growth. They, yeah. they finance their new water system, you sure. know, for new houses. Uh, at the highest interest rate they could find so that they have a justification to charge higher rates for water. Yeah, exactly. You know, and stuff like that. So, I mean, you'd still have those games that would go on, but um, you wouldn't have the games because frankly, the competition is, is you're losing population to the next town over. Yeah, exactly. That, that you, the, the, the more you bring those decisions to the local level, the more likely it is that the, the, the the little guy is gonna win more often. Yep. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Well, I think I want to end it there. Let us know what you think. Send us some feedback to gizmosapiens at gmail.com. That's G-I-Z-M-O-S-A-P-I-E-N-S at gmail.com. And we'll see you on the digital flip side. Gizmo Sapiens, a technology and entertainment podcast. You can reach us at our email address at gizmosapiens at gmail.com. That's G-I-Z-M-O-S-A-P-I-E-N-S at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you, and we'll see you next week from the digital flip side.